Hey everyone, Izzy here. So, heads up, the audio in this episode might be a little funky while recording a fantastic conversation with my guest about the amazing first season of Heartstopper, we were also engaging in a soundtrack listening party. I quickly realized that if I do not want to be jailed for the rest of my life for copyright infringement, I would have to eliminate as much of the music in the background as possible, which I took the liberty of doing this weekend. Luckily, the main audio still sounds alright. I tried my best to rescue it, so just a heads up, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to Sounding Out with Izzy, the podcast where we have conversations with musicians, music producers, publicists, live promoters, zine makers, journalists, and more about their experiences working in the music industry as women, non-binary, and queer femme people. I'm your host, Isabel Corp, the founder of the Queer Femme music-based blog and YouTube channel, A Girl's Two Sound Sense. So this week's episode is going to be a little bit different than usual. As you guys might have already heard, the latest hit show on Netflix is the queer teen romance Heartstopper, directed by Eros Lin and based on the beloved YA webcomic by Alice Oseman. This show has been dominating the news and the cultural conversation like no other piece of queer media ever has before. And for good reason, too. It might be one of the most honest portrayals of queer teen media that I've seen in a very long time. Heartstopper was viewed in at least 51 countries, and the soundtrack has experienced a major surge in chart sales. It's honestly quite remarkable to witness just how powerful this show has become in such a short period of time. For those of you who aren't aware, It would honestly be a surprise if you aren't, because it's not like I've been super secretive about it, but I am very gay, so naturally I had a lot of thoughts about this show. So I invited my good friend Hannah Smith, who is an accomplished journalist, who also happens to be getting a degree in psychology and a license to become a counselor who specializes in adverse childhood experiences. I thought Hannah would be the perfect guest for today's episode because both her and I are bisexual women who were extremely overjoyed to get such an exciting and accurate representation of bisexuality on screen that we haven't really seen before. So I hope you all enjoy our little discussion while we gush over the show's soundtrack, because this show is still a music commentary podcast after all, and let's get right into it. As usual, I would like to remind listeners that I am paying for the podcast out of pocket, so if you would like to help me continue to create more episodes and maybe buy me a coffee as well, please consider donating to or checking out my Patreon at patreon.com backslash a girl's two sound sense. That's girl with three R's and no I. Those who join my Patreon will get to unlock bonus content, including music-based film reviews with special guests, unheard and unedited conversations in podcast episodes, 
playlists curated by yours truly, as well as early access to some of my YouTube content. However, I understand that finances are tight for many people, so if you are unable to join the Patreon, I fully understand. All I ask is that you give the podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, as that really helps me out in my effort to get the podcast in front of more people. And without further ado, let's get right into this episode. Um, I guess I'll do my little radio intro voice. Hey, everyone. Today I am joined by, who are you and what do you do? Hello, everyone. My name is Hannah Shea Smith, and I am a writer. Um, I have worked in news journalism and writing for about the past decade. I've written for newspapers, magazines, um, nonprofits, uh, personal writing. I've done creative writing. I'm working on my first novel. Um, I am also in school. I currently go to Arizona State University and I'm getting my degree in psychology to get my license as a licensed professional counselor specializing in adverse childhood experiences and um, trauma and intergenerational healing. So thank you, Isabel. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really excited uh, for you to be joining me as well because we are going to be talking about Heartstoppers today. <gasps> and I can't wait. I'm so excited. So I guess to start, um, we and we're going to be having a listening party to uh, a condensed version of the soundtrack, because if we listen to the whole soundtrack, this meeting would be uh, three hours. So So we're going to start off with Want Me by Baby Queen, which is playing when Charlie is making his way through um, the school hallway in the intro. And I have to say, real quick before we get started, I apologize because my cat may be making noise. I was, in the back. I was pretty. So no worries. So to start, Hannah, what were your um, general impressions of the Netflix adaptation of Alice Oseman's beloved graphic novel Heartstopper? Mm, oh my goodness! Um, oh my goodness! So my general impressions. Wow. Where do I even start? Um, <laughs> hmm. It was, it was beautiful on, I loved the show from so many different angles. Um, For the cinematography, it was stunningly done. Um, I loved the playfulness of the way that they filmed it with some of the different graphics coming into play. The acting was spectacular. The music, of course, was wonderful. It had a lot of depth and discussing the experiences of the different teens shown throughout the every single episode. Um, It had just, there's so much to talk about. There was so much, so much good stuff to talk about um, in every single episode uh, from their experiences um, to uh, just really the depth of portrayal of um, how each of them went through their different experiences in such a unique way, because it's not, you know, everyone has their own experience of um, coming out and through existing in the world as a queer person. And it really showed depth to every single character and dove into their each unique storyline um, in a way that also resonated with so many of us. So it was just so beautiful on so many levels. Absolutely. I fully agree. Uh, something uh, that I really love 
um, about the show that I think a lot of other people have already said is that we've had we've had joyful portrayals of uh, the queer teen experience on TV before, but mm -hmm. um, this show is just different on so many levels because mm -hmm. of how well it portrays the experience of coming of age um, mm -hmm. and having to deal with homophobia and stuff like yes. mental health and stuff like that. But they don't beat um, the viewer over the head with the conflict. Yes. They don't need to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, so often shows about the queer experience are centered around the trauma. But Heartstopper is really centered around the love. And that love is used to overcome the very real difficulties without having the trauma be the focal point. Um, so, you know, they show those very real situations and difficulties that these teens are going through. But they do it where they center, they center that narrative around the love. And um, I so often... You know, tell people that, um, you know, yes, our trauma, our experiences, they change our stories, but that we hold the power of the narrative. And we really saw that in a beautiful way in this show. Um, and really, I heard this, uh, heard this said one time by a, a therapist and, you know, that in a world that profits and sustains power through our oppression, that our joy is really a direct act of resistance. Um, because they are betting on our subjugation and fear. So when we display expressions of joy, like what we see on Heartstoppers, it really is a direct act of, act of resistance against the systems that seek to oppress us. Um, so at the same time, Heartstopper is very realistic on what authenticity often entails. But the storylines of these characters are not built solely around their trauma. And I think that's part of what makes this show so powerful. Um, because that narrative... You know, when it's built, like I said, when it's built solely around the trauma, it really centers the oppressor. Um, so I, pre I appreciated how Heartstopper showed the very real challenges that queer teens face in America today. Um, but it didn't center their stories exclusively around the trauma. It showed the joy and the butterflies and the meat cute and all of those adorable scenes and that joy that we have. And that expression of joy is just, it's so radical. And so um, it was really a joy to watch that representation on Netflix and amazing to see that represented on such a massive platform. Absolutely. And also I feel like another incredibly powerful thing to witness was the overwhelming response from viewers. Yes. Um, everyone, there were like people threatening to like show up at the Netflix headquarters and, and pick it if they didn't renew it. And like, mm -hmm. and I was worried about that, that, because Netflix mm -hmm. is such a large corporate platform yes. that they might feel threatened by the sheer power of the queer kids response to this show. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, I was also optimistic uh, that they would renew it. And they did, as we speak, we're, they're renewing it for two more seasons. Yes. And so yes. And I think that just, it really goes to show that it captured this experience for so many people. And, you know, so much of my life is spent personally and professionally helping others live beyond survival mode. And, um, but then I think like, like I just rewatched WandaVision um, and cried all over again uh, when Wanda is grieving her brother's death and Vision tells her, 
know, it can't be all sadness, can it? And then um, it also makes me think of, you know, Billie Eilish talking about songs. She has that song, um, Male Fantasy, where there's a line in it that says, um, and all I think about is when I'm when I'm behind the wheel, I wonder if this is how I'm always going to feel, but nothing lasts. I know the deal. Um, and I think that's really well represented in this show. And that's why a lot of people had such an incredible response because it really shows the beauty of our existence and that we belong and our stories are lovely and adorable and exciting as well. Um, like I said, yet in doing so, it doesn't invalidate any experiences because um, there are plenty of shows and books that that do that and we absolutely must talk about it um, but if all we're putting out there is the sadness and the oppression what are we saying to kids who are already so bombarded by fear you know yeah. we've got to let all the queer kids out there know that they are not defined by their grief um, that there is joy to be had in their stories and that they can experience the love and the joy and the butterflies and the falling in love and having a beautiful life and I I think that's part of the reason why it's gotten such a major response because it really shows this beautiful side of who we are and it's just lovely to watch and it's encouraging and it's important. It is for sure. And I also read an incredibly smart thing in an Alice Oseman interview where she said that in being given the creative control of her intellectual property and getting to do the screenplay for the whole show, mm -hmm. that removing all the profanity was strategic because the people uh, to make it access as accessible as possible to all ages because the people who need it the most are the kids yes that's amazing i didn't know that and that's so uh, so incredible to hear because yes especially in this day and age um you know we're not going to give a platform here to saying the horrible things that they say you know but especially right now where they're trying to remove our language and remove us from these situations, especially starting in schools, yeah. you know, where they're trying to remove even saying the word gay in these school situations, you know, to have this representation being accessible to all ages is so important. Um, you know, kids, young kids need to need to see themselves represented in this way. And so I love that she did that. That's really amazing. I love that too. And Speaking of which, can I just show you um, the uh, scene where uh, Nick uh, wrestles Ben away from Charlie in the comics? Oh, this, yes. Just to illustrate the difference, here's what he says here. He says, he told you to stop, you fucking prick. <laughs> Go on, fuck off. <laughs> I mean, I feel like realistically, that's probably what he would have said. <laughs> Yeah. But I appreciate that they removed it to be accessible for younger kids. <laughs> exactly. And that just, yeah, that just goes to illustrate why it's so important. Because, like, the whole, like, um, it's all, it's all, uh, they always want to say, like, the fear stokers, the, the bigots. Like, like James Summerton said in his video essay. I, I'm not sure if you watched it. I think I put it in the document. But mm -hmm. I sent you. But he said that the bigots aren't trying to hide their hate anymore. They're coming back out of their closets. Like the ghost of Anita Bryant is sort mm -hmm. of like being resurrected. So yes. It, and that he and then he went on to say shows like Heartstopper are going are gonna to be so vital to keep this momentum going and putting the bigots back in their closets. Yes, absolutely. Well, like I said earlier, I mean, 
joy is an act of resistance because they are betting on us being quiet and subjugated because that's what they've done through violent measures for years and years and years. And so they're betting on that and it, you know, and betting on us being depressed and subjugated. And so when we express joy and our joy is depicted on such a large platform, it really is an act of revolutionary resistance. You know, it's a, an incredible, incredible thing on so many levels to express that joy and our joy, especially like you were saying, you're showing the kids this joy in the face of fear is, can really change lives. It really can. Um, which character did you identify with the most? <gasps> okay, so that was hard. Um, so many of them, I, you know, identified two in different ways. But I think that the teacher, the art teacher, um, whose classroom that Charlie always escapes to. Yeah. And you get the impression that, that the teacher is kind of one of the only openly gay teachers in the school. And the way that he provides a safe house and also candid advice to the kids is really special. And there have, you know, been studies that have been put out um, specifically talking about, you know, adverse childhood experiences, that when a child goes through an adverse experience, that having the presence of even one caring adult, um, a teacher, an aunt or uncle, a parent, who's there for the child can really make all the difference, not in just getting them through the difficult event, but then also maintaining their well-being through the lifespan. And so I think I identify with the teacher because he gives off kind of the cycle breaker vibes. Um, He's kind of the standalone character who has gone through difficulty himself and has been through the coming out process. And so he's there to help shine a light for the students around him now. And um, I am the second oldest of six siblings Um, And I'm the only one so far who has come out of the closet. And I was raised in an environment that was not supportive of the queer experience. Um, Because I am bisexual, I always had the option of dating boys. And so did that while I was growing up in my parents' home um, because I was afraid. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until I was an adult that I came out to them and said, you know, this was my experience growing up and this is who I am and this is who I've always been. And so... I relate to the teacher in that way because I get to now shine a light for my siblings and for other young people around me to help them, um, help them on their way to living an authentic life. And it's really been the greatest joy and privilege and honor of my life to have been able to provide a safe place for the young people in my life and to experience, um, help them to experience love and unconditional support. That's beautiful. And what about you? Who did you identify with? I strongly, um, in my younger years, strongly, strongly related to uh, Nick just seeing, and by the way, Kit Connor gives like a phenomenal, Emmy-worthy Amazing. performance. Amazing. wonderful. Just the little changes in his little facial tics and like the, the little changes in the air, like that, it, the, he, how masterfully he represented like yes. the confusion and the excitement and but yes. also just like not knowing... Exactly. Ex- especially like when he got the 62% result yes. <laughs> on, the, on the Am I Gay online quiz and mm-hmm. a tear um, fell down his cheek. I th- I I remember like I, I knew exactly what that meant. Um, mm-hmm. Well, for me anyway, I don't know if that was intended by the creators, but 
I remember that happening for me as a fellow bi. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, this fucking sucks because I don't have an answer now. What's this number going to do? What's 62% going to tell me? Yeah. Now I'm just more confused. So thanks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that part really, really resonated. That hit a little too close to home for me. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yes. I think it it did for a lot of people. And um, as far as, you know, with the bisexual representation, the show... I think that a lot of us can relate to that of getting kind of that 50-50 percentage result back and it leading to even more confusion. And I I laughed out loud in the part where he's confused by watching Pirates of the Caribbean. And <laughs> I remember being yeah. very confused as well over whether I needed to choose Elizabeth or Will and then you know, reaching that realization of, Oh, I can, I can like them both. Um, it made me laugh and was also very reminiscent. And, you know, as someone who studies psychology and I'm also a tarot reader, I work a lot with dualities and kind of the acceptance of totality and, you know, being bisexual and pansexual as a lifestyle, uh, lifestyle, you know, living within those concepts of duality and acceptance of yourself and those around you. And I really appreciated the, the way that Nick resolves that duality inside of himself. And I think you're right that Kit Connor did just a fabulous job of portraying that and, you know, of kind of that confusion of like, okay, so I like boys. So I wonder if I'm straight, but then I like girls. So, you know, am I gay? And I, it was just this swing back and forth, similar to what Nick went through of this, you know, wrestling with the self and then kind of that equilibrium that he reached within himself and the world around him um, that really kind of beat the either or mentality. And he just decides to be himself, you know, knowing that sexuality is not on a spectrum um, with, you know, one end being liking men and then the other side liking women, you know, that's not how it is. It's this beautiful constellation. And I really appreciated their portrayal of that process and experience as someone who is bisexual and they really did a good job with him. Nick was a, a very meaningful character. Yes. Absolutely. And I also think that um, a lot of very interesting things I've been seeing in the discourse includes one uh, topic where people are like, well, if they're both like secret, then what makes Nick different from Ben? And what makes Nick different from Ben is that he is a perfect foil to Ben. The only thing Mm -hmm. in common is the secrecy. Ben Mm -hmm. is an asshole using Charlie to get his gay kicks while um, pushing him around. Nick what makes Nick a perfect foil to Ben is like seeing them together in public, even when they're deciding not to tell anyone just because he's not ready. He's not even mm-hmm. thinking about that when he's in public with Charlie. He's thinking about being with Charlie. Yes. And you can just see the palpable like joy um, on both of their faces. And Nick doesn't care because he's not thinking about, oh, no, no, will people, will, will people see? Like, oh, no, oh my God, no homo, no homo. Like... Yes. Like, like, which is exactly what Ben does when he's in the same vicinity as Charlie. So I think that's yes. so such a great way to just really paint such a stark contrast. Yes. No, that's a really good point. Really good point. Um, because yeah, where they both, you know, sure they have the secrecy element, but for for Nick, you know, I think a lot of us can relate to that. Is just he wasn't quite ready yet, and that's okay. Yeah. And, you know, to have to go through your 
process. Like it took me years to be able to get to that point coming from the the family situation that I came from. And it was really frightening. And, you know, for him to do things in his own time is fine, you know, and it, that, and he should be able to do that. Um, and, you know, it's, but like you said, it's the difference in the way that he went about it, where Ben was, you know, shaming Charlie and kind of projecting. He yeah. was really projecting a lot of his inward feelings out onto Charlie. And you could hear some of the things, the name calling and some of the things that he said about Charlie probably were the way that he was feeling about himself. And it doesn't make it right in any way. Um, but you see Nick kind of going through his journey of, self-acceptance of, you know, doing things in the way that he needed to be able to step into who he was. And it's very different. Like you said, I'm I'm glad that they made that comparison because it was a very different experience. Yeah. And this is another reason why I'm so like happy that Oseman was at the helm on the show as well. Cause I feel like, um, the very real experiences that, uh, they portrayed so masterfully when she wrote the comic, um, like, dealing with hookups with guys who are on the down low or like mm-hmm. with not even guys, like, cause it's not just for gay men. It's for everyone who's queer and is like looking for a same sex partner. And you might run into down low people who will be low key abusive and yes. slight you like Ben did being like, well, it's a, you, who, who else do you think is going to want you if you don't have me? Like that's a very yes. thing that happens. Yes. And I, I don't think that that I've seen that aspect of queer life portrayed so masterfully in media as mm-hmm. the show has done before. Yes, it really was all encompassing in that sense that showed a lot of different types of experiences. And there were a lot of a lot of different characters. And usually when I'm watching a show and there are so many characters that are kind of lead characters. Um, you, you get worried that maybe some won't have a very complete storyline or they may get kind of lost, but they all felt like really complete characters and you got the full scope of them. So it was very well written. They did a great job writing the different storylines to make them very complete and relatable to a wide audience. Yeah. And so I'm just scrolling through my highlights here to make sure I don't miss anything, but I um, really loved um, the scene where Nick watches Tara and Darcy at the party and uh, oh, yes. when they kiss and there's just a bunch of rainbow flashing and then you can see like <laughs> pink and blue bisexual shades like that cascading over Nick, like the lighting in this show, the color coding. Yes. The blue and the yellow, uh, when like Nick's standing under like the blue, Charlie's standing under the yellow of the Mm -hmm. and they're both wearing blue and yellow. Yes. Ongoing colors. So detailed. So detailed. Yes. I love that. And like I was saying before too, the filming of it and the use of graphics. I loved how you had said, you had told me, you know, kind of how it looks like the, you know, the screen pardon me for not knowing the language, but you know, the, like the screenplay, it was kind of filmed in a way that was very consistent with the graphic novel. I thought that was a great observation that you made. The visuals. Yeah. were very mm-hmm. like web tuny, which I love how they kept that aspect in there. Yes. Very fun. Yeah. Another um, thing that I really loved in the show was the foreshadowing for Tara and Darcy. When Elle first meets them, she's like, have you guys been friends for a while? And Darcy's like, Oh yeah. Best gal pals. And I was like, <laughs> Gay. Gay. <laughs> yes, gal pals. 
exactly. I was actually watching two queer people um, reacting to the show. I was watching a reaction the other day, and mm -hmm. um, they could tell, like, even before that, like, w when you see them in the background of the shot of Elle sitting down in class, and Tara and Darcy are both wearing a little blanket shawl together. They're sharing a little shawl, and they uh -huh. off as they sit down next to each other. One of the mm -hmm. and one of the people watching, one of the channel um, hosts, was like, oh, "Lesbians, lemonies!" <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! See, I need to watch to get and see some of those background things. Yeah, yeah, I called it fairly early on. Not that early. I didn't notice them in the background, but I caught the vibes. The vibes, exactly. The vibes. Another thing I wanted to talk about was. Well, actually, before I get to the next thing, also, um, the fact that we get to meet Elle, Yasmin Finney's character. Elle is the trans character who switches to the girls' school after transitioning. I love how we meet her yes. having a normal life and things have gotten better for her after the Yes. Book. Yeah, there's no big coming out as trans moment and it's not bogged down by trauma. She's just, it just depicts her as a normal kid with a normal life. I know the word normal is very loaded, so I don't know if that's like the best youth verbiage but yeah yeah but it's showing it's showing her life you know as it is that she went through this you know she she came out and is living her life and it's showing who she is as a person um you know and not tying her identity just strictly to her being you know having transition like she's whole person as herself and that's part of her identity but it's not the only thing that defines her and they really show her as a full a full human being and her life and she was wonderful i loved her character i loved them all in here i um and if you see her like um in real life yasmin finney l's actress she is stunning like mm -hmm. incredible um and she, yeah. she still is in the show, but I, I, I kind of got a kick out of how they made her look like Anne Hathaway in the Princess Diaries. Yes. <laughs> I know that with her. Yes, it's very, <laughs> very Anne Hathaway. Yeah, she's beautiful. She is so beautiful. Another thing I wanted to um, get go in depth in was like um, the fact that we actually got genuinely good like WLW representation in this show. Yes. They were still oh, like side characters but they had a sustainable story and we get to really see substance there which I loved what did you think about that yes oh I did really appreciate that um you're right they were very there was a lot of substance um they were depicted you know very complete again like we were saying with Elle you know these complete characters and getting to see so many different different aspects of them um, and them going through. And I liked, you know, kind of the juxtaposition, you know, where one of them had been, had been out a little bit longer, but you know, and the other was just coming on kind of they're they're very supportive relationship together in that. Um, I really appreciate that representation it was, it was very healthy. They weren't sidelined, you know, even though Nick and Nick and Charlie were definitely the main protagonists. Um, but they were really depicted well and very complete. And that's like I was saying earlier, I really can appreciate how they made all of the characters so complete, um, where they were multifaceted, they were whole human beings, they had story plots, they had character development um, individually and together. It was really excellent representation. Yeah. And I 
also just, uh, okay, this is, oh, Telephone by Waterpark. Sadly, not Telephone by Lady Gaga and Beyonce. Would have preferred that a little, a little gayer. But yes, <laughs> I actually, took me a while to get into Waterparks, the band. But the, um, the minute I heard this um, come on at the party, when they were mm-hmm. each other, it's like, you came. I'm so happy you came to the yes. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> I, I thought I, d- I was like, okay, I guess they made the right choice with this telephone. <laughs> yes, it, it worked. It was just so cute. I loved it. And I also um, thought that this story was just like the perfect, cute, fluffy, like wholesome. Like everyone calls it, everyone says the word wholesome, um, but it's really true. Like it was just mm-hmm. like, it was so refreshing to, to be like, um, cause everyone was expecting drama that ensued, like Nick saying yes to a date with Imogen cause he felt pressured to. Yes. And then, um, but it gets resolved within the next episode with perfect communication and just like, yes. and so many people were surprised by that. The fact that, um, the show really doesn't cut any corners. It doesn't waste its time, like, bogging down this sweet love story with drama or trauma, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yes, the communication aspect, um, the way that they resolved that and, you know, used it to show, show Nick's, you know, some of his, um, his feelings surrounding it, coming to, you know, the realization of this new aspect of himself that he didn't realize before. And, going through that process, but it was done in, you know, a very concise way that, um, and was resolved, you know, without a lot of drama, like it, it stayed on, stayed on course and showed, I think it's important to, you know, to show examples of healthy communication, especially since this show was targeted for a wide, a wide audience of, you know, adults like us going down to, you know, kids who can watch it to give them healthy examples of communication and, you know, with kids, it's, it's helpful to, you know, show them examples of ways that you can handle situations because, you know, kids, so much of that, we need to help teach them language skills and ways to say things of how to approach different complex social situations. And I think the show really gave some good examples of, you know, for a kid who finds himself in that situation or experiencing those very real complex feelings or how to handle a specific situation that the show gave them some guidance on, Hey, if you're in this situation, you know, look at how Nick handled this. Like here's a very good example. And they can even use some of the, the words that he used and the way that he handled that as a model for their life and having, you know, kids learn through modeling behavior. And it really, it modeled some very healthy behavior and you know, a lot of the interactions between the friends of how they helped each other and you know, or resolved conflicts was really healthy language. I loved it. Like, oh, what a nice, <laughs> a nice tool. Cause not every kid has adults who model positive behavior in their lives. And so to have a show that really models healthy behavior and healthy communication is so important and can be a great resource for any kid and adult. Adults, we still need to learn yeah. healthy communication sometimes too. So <laughs> it sets a good examples for all of us. 
It really does, yeah. Um, I'm curious, did you cry at any point watching the show? Because I did at many points. Yes. Oh my goodness. So I loved I loved this scene where it was raining and Nick came to Charlie's house and they had that moment and then he goes to leave and Nick um I'm sorry, Charlie comes running after him and they're like in the rain and the sun comes through and I got a little teared up in that scene. <laughs> um and then uh Nick's mom, which we need to talk about her. Oh my goodness. God. What um, was your reaction when you saw Olivia Coleman pop onto the screen? Oh, I screamed. I audibly screamed. <laughs> Girl, yeah. you're here. You know, they kept her appearance in the show a secret. They didn't even use it in the marketing at all. I think that's a testament yes. to how powerful the show is. They didn't even mention that Olivia Coleman was going to be in it. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I Yeah, I was so excited when I saw her. I'm like, yay, you're here. <laughs> it was wonderful. Yeah, I was so happy. And it was really cool to see her just play like a nice, light, like wholesome, like mother role, too, because we don't see that often from Olivia Coleman. We often see her in like, hot, like high drama roles. So it was really nice to see her like just play a nice, like, loving mother supporting her queer son. <laughs> yes, yes. And again, talking about modeling behavior, you know, she that was another I got emotional at that part of the way that she she showed that unconditional love and the way that she went about supporting him was really beautiful. And yeah, that got the waterworks going. <laughs> yeah. Um I guess this might be a good uh time to segue into uh the aspect of, that made the show um equally saddening as it did enjoyable because yes. uh like the so I sent uh for context for anyone listening I sent Hannah a BuzzFeed article called why I found Heartstopper equally traumatic and gratifying, gratifying. yeah so uh what are your thoughts um on this yes yeah, so I'm so glad that you sent me that article. He really was an excellent writer and I think um, summarized what a lot of us feel, you know, as adults looking back on our teen experiences, um, you know, as someone who that stage of our life is over. Um, and so instantly I, I got emotional and I texted you while I was reading it saying that I was feeling very emotional because it really did. Um, did strike a chord in a major way. So as I said, I grew up in a home that was not supportive of me being bisexual. And so I hid it the entire time I lived under my parents' roof out of fear. Um, so all through my childhood, all through high school. And the author of this article said that he, um, he really missed what Charlie and Nick had. And that's um, something that I talk with my therapist about a lot. Um, because I also experienced grief over the things that I missed. And the author said, um, a quote from the article, seeing Nick and Charlie's story on screen was saddening because I never got to be in love in my teenage years and I wish I could have been. Um, and so in that way, you know, I loved seeing the teens live out their love stories on screen. But at the same time, I also felt so sad that I never got to do the same. And that, you know, that time of my life is forever gone. Like, poof, it's disappeared. It's over and I'll never get it back. Um, and so it also makes me deeply glad 
that we have shows like Heartstopper to show the beauty of the queer experience. Um, because I get a little emotional. Um, because you know, I wonder if little Hannah had grown up in this day and age, and if that younger version of myself had watched Heartstopper and felt empowered to experience my own fullness of joy, or you know, felt like I was okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with me. And anyone listening, there's nothing wrong with you and you're okay. And, you know, you're beautiful as you are, you know, and that I could have seen that I was beautiful because these teens were beautiful and I was worthy of love. Like these kids on the screen are worthy of love. And I just wonder, you know, how different could my life has, have been. Um, and so, you know, that's why I do what I do now. And, um, you know, with this show in that joy, for the generation of children who will be watching the show, I also felt the grief that, you know, that time in my life is gone. Um, but what I can do with that grief is I can, instead of letting it debilitate me, like I faced my grief and I had to properly grieve that reality that I was faced with. Um, and then coming out of that grief you know, to realize that, okay, I've been through this experience. There's nothing I can do to change it. I, I can't change it. It's gone. It's done. But what I can do now is to, you know, help the next generation and to be that teacher, um, emulating the aspects of that teacher in the show, like we were talking about, you know, to help other kids and to, you know, do things like this, where we talk about it and we have a conversation because, I lived in silence for so many years and I know that there are just so, so many other kids who are living in silence right now. And so, you know, you and I having this conversation now and having shows like Heartstopper, it's just so important to have that dialogue to end the silence. Yeah. And I remember for me, um, I, uh, you know, that I always uh, think about that moment in the show, like after Nick takes the quiz, like he ends up getting like, I guess, bamboozled by all this um, overwhelming information about how queer people are treated mm-hmm. by the government and by their own families and um, homeless populations because of parental rejection and stuff like that. Yes. I remember that same thing happening um like because I I really resonated with Nick in the fact that I had like I had an idyllic childhood like nothing was wrong or anything like that but like the minute that it sort of became ingrained that that is how queer people in general um the trip that 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 the trade-off that they make for being open is um facing um ridicule and even just like those death by a thousand cuts, little microaggressions from strangers every day, not even strangers from people that you love as well. Mm -hmm. I I always like, I I like to tell this story. That's really funny. Cause like when, when I uh, came out to my Nana, um, she kind of had like, she, she, she doesn't understand it, but like, she, she doesn't really care that much. Like, but her reaction was like Rue McClanahan and golden girls. You know, that one scene where where um there's this one, like, little three-second clip of Rue McClanahan going, lesbian. <laughs> lesbian. Not Lebanese, but <laughs> lesbian. 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 Um, but yeah, um... 
the ridicule, the microaggressions and all that stuff. Um, and even just people who don't understand it. So it's like you're hitting a wall when you try to talk to them. Even that can be hurtful. So like, despite having like a, a pretty idyllic childhood, even for me, like I, I, I spent months and months and months thinking about like, okay, how am I going to tell my mom? How am I going to tell my dad? Like, what are they going to say? Like, what are they going to like? And how is it? And is this going to change our relationship at all? Cause like, you know, yes. up when, when like it, like parents like just deeply like are so entrenched in this heteronormative sort of cycle of projecting mm -hmm. on kids even like even when they're three years old and you're like oh that that one's gonna be a little heartbreaker when he grows up mm -hmm. even that can be damaging it's the assumption it's always an automatic assumption yeah mm -hmm. yeah so that was why and then like you said when when he when nick uh came out to uh his mom and she was mm -hmm. oh, i'm so glad you told me i'm sorry if i felt like you couldn't tell me just having that affirmed um mm -hmm. it also made me burst into tears because like so many people didn't get to have that experience. Yes. Yes. It's, um, you know, and even, even for someone, you know, like Nick, like yourself, you know, they're so, even if, you know, some members of the family are accepting, they're still the ones who aren't and society at large is also not accepting. And I think a lot of those responses of the fear, you know, even though Nick, probably knew in his heart of heart that his mom was going to accept him. There's still the very real fear because we are conditioned in society to be fearful. And I believe that it's on purpose that, you know, the fear and the way that it's, it's put out there, you know, is meant to subjugate queer people and it's a power thing. And so there is so much fear and it is very real. And I really noticed that something that stood out to me in the show as well was with Tara's experience, you know, where she comes out and she suddenly feels like an outlier. And she talks about that on the show and that was very meaningful. And, you know, in personality theory, we talk about how the essence of who we are is impacted by our environment internal and external, but then a major part of that that influences our behaviors and how we feel about ourselves and even our personalities is people's responses to us. And that's really key. And when we look at Tara's experience and you know how she goes through that situation of coming out, you know, seeing that sexual orientation and coming out creates life experiences that straight people just don't go through. <laughs> And it's unique to our experience and it's filled with complexity. And Heartstoppers did show that through Tara's experience of how, you know, her straight friends don't have to, they don't go through those experiences, something that's very uniquely our experience. And, you know, it's something that we do have to confront. And like you said, it's kind of a trade-off and that's unfair. It shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't have to make that trade-off. We should just be able to exist. But it is something that, is an experience that we go through. Yeah, definitely. And the fact that, um, and you know what I also, but you know, like, uh, and to find it, even just to find a silver lining in that, like to going back to healthy communication, like even though mm -hmm. Tara was out of it and just like feeling a little like 
uh, like this is a little too overwhelming, like, and uh, maybe I might regret this or something. Just having like questioning all this stuff in her head. She never, ever projected that onto Darcy. Not once. Yes. And that was yes. so great to see. As well. That was, yes. Another great example of healthy communication, how to deal with that. And, you know, we're not always going to be perfect in our communication. And, you know, if someone has a bad reaction or, you know, not bad, that was a poor use of words, but, you know, if someone has a reaction that um, is strong, you know, you can recognize that like, okay, that's not a response that I should have had. Um, you know, what can I learn from that? And then what would be a, a more productive way to communicate this, but know that it's a tough situation. And in Tara, you know, she was dealing with a lot in this whole situation of coming out and dealing with the complexities of, you know, her social life. And like you were saying, you know, there's just, there's so much that goes into it of, you know, having to deal with that with so many people and, you know, that it's just, it's a very complex and difficult process. Um, that's not just black and white. Um, and so, you know, having grace for yourself going through that, um, you know, knowing that you may feel a lot of different emotions and again, I think, you know, the beauty of Heartstopper is that it does show, it models healthy behavior, you know, and models that way of how helpful ways that you maybe can handle those situations um, while also having grace that, you know, you're going through something difficult. So give yourself grace, give yourself love. <laughs> oh my God. Those are the cats. What's happening? That was so rude. She chased her sister. <laughs> They were like playing and then one of them, their little cat fight going to make the podcast now. <laughs> yeah. I, oh no. Keeping that in. <laughs> well, hey, that is um, an example of not a healthy way to communicate. That is an unhealthy <laughs> communication. <laughs> Don't smack your sister in the face. <laughs> oh, my cats are rude. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. And I also like, loved like oh what were some of your favorite like scenes I know you mentioned the rain scene that's iconic in both the books and the show what were some of your favorite scenes my personal favorites were the bowling alley the arcade and yes I also really loved uh, the one where Tara and Darcy were trapped in um literally trapped in a closet <laughs> yes oh my god <laughs> that was one of my favorite ones as well <laughs> so good Oh my goodness. Um, okay. I liked the end as well. Um, where Nick takes Charlie to the beach and that whole moment. Cause Charlie, you know, you see him with, with his, his self worth and how he, he almost, especially coming out of the whole situation with Ben, where, you know, he struggles to receive Nick's love and to accept that. And then you know, how Nick just like showers him with affection and, you know, kind of helps him, um, you know, helps him become open to love again. And it's so sweet. I love that whole scene where he like gets to the beach and then they walk and he's like, oh my God, we're at the ocean and goes running. That was a really sweet scene. Yeah. And did you, um, and I loved how on the bus, they just had, Alice was just randomly there, like drawing, like on the bus. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. That was I great. She actually posted on her Instagram that, um, that uh, she had been, she had been drawing the two of them. Oh. Together. 
Oh, I love it. I love those little behind the scenes things. Yeah. Um, oh, I also love Charlie and his attempt at um, doing the rugby team thing. And um, I also am not athletic and I'm within that stereotype. <laughs> and, um, but I love that how he, he was trying out. That was funny. Yeah. I love um, also Sebastian Croft who plays Ben. I love how he's like the self-proclaimed president of the Ben Hope hate club, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> he's like, well, it probably helped him in acting. He's like, I'm going to make this character as unlikable as possible. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness and yes I hope I hope that he like I was saying I feel like a lot of his behavior was there was a lot of projection going on and you know hopefully he he reached a place of healing where he was able to resolve some of those things inside of himself so he could you know not not hurt others in the way that he's hurting oh I love the scene um where they would do like the rose-colored glasses where they put on where he is like from uh, from Charlie's point of view and they'll have like his different like his, his rose colored glasses come on and kind of seeing what's going on in his head portrayed in the graphics was super creative. And then the black void like when he's like imagining Nick going oh no sorry I'm definitely straight we should probably not be <laughs> like that part. Yes. Yes those anxious thoughts I'm like oh <laughs> Charlie just want to give him a hug. Yeah. You just, like, yeah, you want to, like, be like, Charlie, get behind me. I'll defend you. <laughs> I know. Yes. Yes. That's the, why identify with the teacher. Because it's, you know, we all have our journey that we're going to go on. And we have to, you know, reach, reach that, that self, self-actualization. And, you know, my brother is just his birthday the other day. And that's why I told him, I was like, you know, I, uh, I don't wish just happiness for you. I wish, you know, self-actualization coming to, you know, the, the realization of who you are and that you can achieve, you know, self-acceptance to be able to live your most authentic version in the world. And that's watching Charlie was the same thing of, you know, that's kind of your ultimate wish for them. And, you know, cause life isn't just happiness and, you know, reaching this, a place of, self-actualization is more desirable than just striving always to be happy. And we see them through the, you know, as they deal with this amazing joy and also go through the difficult things, they really, what their, what the goal is in that situation is for them to reach that self-actualization. And they do. And we end in the adorable scene on the beach. And it's, I I think that's really what it comes down to at the end is, you know, through everything, it's really this process of self-actualization and that's, that's really the most meaningful place. Cause like I said, you know, we can, um, if we're just pursuing happiness and joy, we're not going to achieve those things because it's forced and life and, you know, life is real and <laughs> the struggle's real. And so <laughs> having I sit on the self-actualization is where it's at to get, get through that. And then when you experience those beautiful moments of joy and hope and, you know, those wonderful moments that we see through the show, it's so much more meaningful from that place of self-actualization. It is. Yeah, for sure. And, oh, it's something funny that I observed is that Kip Connor seems to give the best hugs in the world. Like, oh my God, yes. (laughs) 
if he offered hugs to people for $10, he would make a lot of money. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. He would not have to work another day in his life. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. Again, like, seeing this um, authentic of a bisexual rep, like, I'm just mm-hmm. so, so, so grateful that a show like this exists on such a large platform, too, because... Mm-hmm. I don't like to invalidate people who are like, I wish that I had something like this when I was growing up because like, I've heard a lot of queer people, like queer cultural critics who are like, what are you talking about? Like we did, you just had to look for it. But I'm like, so you agree, you you had to go out and search for it. You don't have to do that here. This is on Netflix. Yes. And even people who don't have access to Netflix can watch the clips. Um, so- yeah. And also, like, even the joyful, like I was saying earlier, the joyful representations of queerness we had in the past were just, like, they were good, but they weren't the same. There was, I felt like there was too much trauma, too mm-hmm. much forced, um, too much forced over-sexualization as well of teenagers, where it's just, like, and I think yes, in James Summerton's essay, another thing that he said was, a big part of it that made it really real to him was the fact that the characters aren't obsessed with jumping into bed together as soon as they meet. Yeah. Yeah. It's keeping the focus on the relationship and, you know, that yes, sex is a part of relationships, you know, for people who want to engage in, um, you know, having sex with their partner and, but for this, it, it keeps it more focused around the experience and again, you know, sex is sexy and draws in a crowd of, you know, people who, who may, you know, would watch it for that reason, where this show, it really maintains focus, where it doesn't get distracted, like you were saying, doesn't get distracted by the drama, it doesn't get distracted by the trauma, it doesn't get distracted by anything else, it really maintains the focus on the point of, you know, showing this relationship. And the stories of these teens in a way that really keeps the focus on the heart of the show. It really does. And they cast like actual age appropriate actors as well. Yes. Which is so needed. Um, uh, It's getting slightly better. I know they did this a similar thing like with the Young Royals cast. They cast like people who were actually in their teenage years. Uh, Have you watched Young Royals, by the way? Not yet. I was going to say that's on my list as well. So good, but looks But yeah, like and the fact that they cast people who are age appropriate, I feel like just adds another layer of authenticity. And also, I mm-hmm. think Joe Locke, who plays Charlie, was saying in an interview that um, we need this because kids need to be able to see people who look like them reflected because it's got a can't be super great for kids' self esteem to see people way over the age playing teenagers. Yes. And then that opens up the door for adult themes to be put in where this is a show that's made for anyone, but it's also made, you know, I think, again, it's just, it's such important representation for the younger crowd where they really do see themselves um, and feel that it's for them. The rude cats can't make noises again. All right, so it looks like we have two more songs left. Right now, we're hearing Moment in the Sun by uh, Sunflower Bean, which is playing at the Carnival Beach scene. Yes. 
Um, but yeah, just overall, I think this show is just like so important. So such a radical display of queer joy that we haven't seen on such a wide scale for for a while, if if ever. Um, yes. I believe it's there are going to be college courses based on it in film school and liberal arts classes. <laughs> like, so important. Like, and, and like you said, what I loved was it's proof that a show even about kids with a target audience of kids can still be enjoyed by adults and you don't need anything gratuitous or gross or sleazy to draw in an adult audience. You don't. Period. Yes. Yes. I think I think that's part of what everybody really enjoyed about it is that it's just a good show. It feels good. It's very you know, even like with talking about that BuzzFeed article of, you know, some of the the complex emotions that adults felt, you know, re- making it reflect on their experiences. But at the end of the day, it really is just a good, feel good, um, comforting, sweet show that, you know, brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. Yeah. And as much as it is saddening to... um reflect on like the younger experiences of people like you and me and not really getting to experience what they did, Charlie and Nick, that young, um, that first uh, love. um, It's also nice to live vicariously through them. It's like, it was so therapeutic to watch this too. Yes, it was. It was. Yeah. Living vicariously. And then, you know, giving some goals and standards of, you know, like, this is what everyone deserves. Everyone deserves experience and we don't all get it. And we can't always, you know, we don't always get to choose what our stories are. Um, but it was such a beautiful moment to, to celebrate what can be. And then a motivating factor, you know, to, to continue trying to, you know, make that be the more standard experience of, you know, everyone deserves to have this type of experience. And um, like I was saying, you know, it's, we can, for anyone who, you know, felt that complex grief that went along with watching the show, you know, you can, can channel that as a motivating factor of, you know, making, you know, doing what you can to help kids who are in that situation, use your experiences um, to to make it better for the next generation. And I think that's what, you know, the Alice and the writers and producers and the actors really use that as, um, as an opportunity to do that. And it's really beautiful. And I'm so excited that they signed on for season two and three. Same. Um, do you have any uh, other final thoughts before I uh, let you go? Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for having me on to have this conversation. I know we could just talk for hours and hours about this and we will definitely be doing follow-ups for season two and three, which do you know, when do those come out? Well, since they were just announced, I think they, they now have to plan like a filming schedule and everything. So, and oh. then, and then a, like a whole uh, distribution plan after oh. the fact. So, but- so I'm just like, give it to me now. And <laughs> I'm impatient. I'm being impatient. <laughs> Everyone who's listening, peace and love. And remember to teach your cats healthy communication.
<laughs> and you can use Heartstopper as a model to do this. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to Sounding Out with Izzy, and a big thank you to my good friend Hannah Smith for joining me. Remember to subscribe and sign up for the mailing list on my YouTube channel and written blog, both under the name A Girl's Two Sound Sense. Give the podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're interested, consider donating to my Patreon at patreon.com backslash a girl's two sound sense. That's girl with three R's and no I. And now to close out this episode, a big thank you to my current patrons, Debbie, Duna, Beverly, Matthew, and Paul. Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you in the next episode of Sounding Out with Izzy.